in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you can be so everyone will Welcome you to our Code of Man podcast today, and uh, we are so excited to have you back for episode two, already our second episode in the Code of Man podcast. Now, we had not planned to do a second episode this quickly. We were just here last week recording our inaugural episode, episode on wilderness and the soul of man. This week, because COVID-19 has hit, and it has brought such a disruption in our days and everything that we're doing. And so it seemed like a great time to spend a little time talking about this worldwide pandemic, which is not only a pandemic across the world, but it is something touching individual lives, each one of us and people we know. So here today in our studio is Mike and Corey and our guest friend today, Pastor Gary Blaylock. And we brought Gary in today to help us explore the topic that we're going to be looking at. How do we as men not only sustain our hearts during all of these uncertain times, but how do we help our family and how do we help our churches to not only survive this, but thrive in it and after this is passed to come out stronger on the other side. So here we are in the middle of the COVID-19 storm and we're talking today about sustaining hearts in vicious times. And uh, Pastor Gary Blaylock, welcome to the Code of Man podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and looking forward to what uh, what may come out of this. And things like this are some of the things that are serving people and ministering to people's hearts. I know it is me, and so I'm excited about what, uh, what the Lord's going to do in my heart. So we brought you in today because we wanted to get a pastoral perspective from somebody who's been pastoring for a while. Well, uh, I guess I've been pastoring close to uh, 18 to 19 years, something like that. Going all the way back, I guess getting started, I'm from Coolamy, North Carolina, if anybody knows where that's at. And I know Corey does. And so, um, uh, that makes da- two of you. <laughs> uh, and now I am currently, I'm at Shining Light Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. All right, so here's a starting point. A month ago, and I think I speak for probably, to some degree, all of us here and and many people that are listening, a month ago we thought that this was a small interruption. And I think we were ready to kind of brush this thing aside, sort of get ready to move on. And, And then, honestly, here, as of last night laying there getting ready to go to bed, go to sleep, and I'm and I begin to have these thoughts of, hmm, how do I know that my boys aren't getting exposed to this when they go to work? And they're going to bring this home, and my youngest is going to be exposed to it. How do I know that my girls aren't picking this up, or my wife's going to, you know? And you start thinking about that. And then, then all of a sudden, a month ago it was a small interruption. To last night, I'm thinking about, you know what? I might actually need to think twice about hosting this get together with the code guys. I may, you know. And so that is all to say, this thing has become a major deal. 
And I guess, to be honest, because I don't follow the news all day long or even every day, last night, I will admit, I looked at a few headlines, probably not the best thing to do before bedtime, and I saw how, you know, zoo animals have been diagnosed with it. They're, you know, they're naming more and more people at this place and this condition that have died with it. And then to top it all off, I got an email this morning. I'm going to share part of this, this email with you and kind of use that as something that will facilitate us getting this discussion going. It says, I write to you all this morning with a broken heart. My neighbor and friend of over 35 years died Saturday due to the coronavirus. His wife had been confined in the house taking care of him for at least 10 days. She called us early Friday morning in tears and told us EMS was on the way because he had taken a turn for the worse. This thing is so much more than a virus or pandemic, it's cruel. She was so broken as she watched the ambulance take him away. She couldn't and wouldn't be allowed to go to the hospital. We stood in our yard and she in hers. We couldn't embrace her or even hold her hand as she cried and turned to walk back in her house. Since Saturday, when he died, she has had visitors, limited visitors, go sit on her back deck and talk to her either through a window or door. There won't be a funeral for now. Maybe someday there will be a memorial to honor this man. I do believe that time will allow us to return to church eventually. I just pray that it's not the end to fellowship as we knew before. I long to shake, shake your hands or put an arm around each, each other's shoulder and laugh over something stupid that we said or did. So, very real time. And uh, my reply to that email was that that was, while it was sad, it was medicine for my soul. Just hearing those, hearing that read, what is that you hear in that? What does it bring to your heart? I will just add to that that we have been affected. You know, we have a, a gentleman in our church who's about my age, and his dad actually contracted the virus, and he died just recently. It just brings back to home for me that what you were thinking, what I was thinking just a month ago, has been completely turned upside down because now it's it's in our it's it's right in our face it's dealing with you know it's it's us but it also reminds me that you know through this process there are believe it or not there are some things i would say positive things some good things that god is doing through this and I haven't lost hope is what I'm saying i haven't lost hope so yeah as i read this email and read it again before we came to do the recording today, there are things, particular lines that really jump off at me. When I first read it, that line of the second paragraph, this thing is so much more than a virus or pandemic. It's cruel. To describe then why this thing is cruel. Because here's the thing about it. We have, we people have joked about it. We've been lighthearted. And we have, in all fairness, tried to keep a measure of lightheartedness in the face of something so serious but I think that what this is a reminder of is that we have a responsibility to engage this on the reality of loss and on the reality of heartbreak and on the reality of spiritual struggle where if I'm feeling something like this, the cruelty of this, of, of seeing a wife say goodbye to a husband that she doesn't know if she'll see him again because he's going away in an ambulance and she can't go, so the loss is real here. Well, my initial reaction, it really stems even more to, to some confusion that I've even been, you know, working with even in my own life because, you know, I, I firmly believe 
stand by this, that God is in control. Uh, but I believe human nature comes out and we ask those questions. Why did this happen in the way that it did? Or, or how on earth can God possibly work any kind of good or any kind of glory out of this cruelty? This this almost seems above and beyond. So it is. it has been an eye-opening experience for me because never in my life have I had to maybe be faced with such that is just as cruel as it is. We've got it pretty easy where we're at. You know, everybody's got difficulties, everybody's got hardships, and we've all had things we've ever that we've had to under, overcome. But I don't know that that I've ever had to, you know, try to sit down and talk with my wife. Thankfully, my children are very young, so there's not a lot of questions that they're asking right now, but you know, we're formulating you know, our thoughts, our opinions, our beliefs, we're trying to answer questions that never in a million years do we think would ever come up, I mean, here in, you know, in America. So your children are young. Mine uh, certainly are older. And Pastor Blaylock, you have some even slightly older children. How are your children responding to this? Well, you're right. I've got a daughter who teaches school. And watching all of that, because we have the Academy, as you well know, at Shining Light, watching how all of that is, and knowing that our teachers have the same challenge, that's been interesting. And being right in the middle of it, I feel the anxiety about having to try to help them formulate and and ideas and, and things that they can do to help their students. And then I've got a, a son who works. He's actually what they're calling on furlough. And so, but basically what that is, is they're, they're laid off for now. And they're, they're, he's having to, to file for unemployment. So we're dealing with that. I've got a college-age son who is going through the virtual distance learning there for, at home. And, and then I've got a senior in high school who uh, is, quite frankly, she's probably not going to get to graduate in the traditional sense. To me, out of all of that, and the idea, you know, we have all these plans. You know, so they, they had a, a senior trip, a, an honor society trip uh, that they had planned and worked for and labored for. And so to come back and bring it all the way back around, it's tough as a parent, not just as a pastor, but it's tough as a parent to know that, that she feels disappointed. There's so many different factors to this thing that um, I, know, I just don't think that there was any way we could imagine it would be like this, but you know what do you do? And the un- the unknown is what keeps coming up, because we're we all have a measure of uncertainty about things that we don't have answers to, and we we can't have all the answers to something like this. And of course, we're going to transition here in, in a second to to how we are sustaining through things like that that we don't have answers to. But I. I Go back to this email one more time. I love that it ends with the message of hope because, you know, he says in here, I pray this isn't the end of our fellowship as we knew before. And I think there's some uncertainty in that, that question that's lingering out there of how much has society changed in a way that it will never go back. But then to just express there, hey, I'm looking forward to the time we can just put our arms around one another and laugh is kind of putting this some, some context to life that what we're looking for at some point is relief. But even more than that, we want restoration of our souls, and that's a lifelong process. So what is God doing right now 
that is making something cruel, something uncertain, something unknown, something difficult that is making our hearts stronger as a result. And can I just say this? You know, I think, don't you guys think that um, that Satan uses those uncertainties to try and, and put us in bondage, you know, to hold us down? Because honestly, we, we like the idea of knowing certain things, certain outcomes. And, and I thought about what Psalm 13, 1 says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? You ever felt like that? You ever feel that way? Like, where's God in all this? I'm going to tell you what helps my heart. Psalm 139, and I, you know, honestly, knowing that there is a God in heaven who absolutely knows everything that's going on. There's nothing that has shook up heaven. We might, our routines are shook up. I mean, the Tao didn't plummet in heaven. The futures haven't been affected by, in this sense, our future is still the same as it always has been. Mm-hmm. And that's that we're saved by the grace of God. And regardless of what happens, we're going to be okay. I said this the other day, but I've said it maybe in a couple places in a couple of ways. But I believe, I believe that one of the kindest things God does for our heart is to allow us the experience of loss. And everybody is losing something right now. Now, it can be minimal loss all the way up to very significant loss. So there's all these different levels of loss, but here's the thing about it. God is ultimately a redeemer. This is the work of God. He redeems everything, and God will redeem this. Everything has its season, and God makes everything beautiful in his time. That's redemption. So God allows us to go through loss like this because ultimately the great redemption of loss is is it helps us loosen our grip on this world. That's the thing that that's hard for me and it had to be hard for Job, right? When he lost what he lost. I mean quite literally he lost everything. And even though he knew God was in control, you know, he makes statements like though he slay me yet shall I trust him. Uh, he didn't give up, give in, give out. He he went and worshipped. He went and spent time with God. He I don't think there's any way he could have known exactly what God was going to do to the to the what the results would be. But I take comfort in knowing that in the same way, and I'm thankful for you know what you said there, that we know that the ultimate outcome, God is going to work something good out of it. I don't know how. I don't don't claim or presume to know exactly what God's going to do through all of this, but I know He's going to do something. And when He does, in His time, like you said, He'll make it beautiful. He'll make it right, and we'll stand back and wonder and all, and we'll say, "Yeah, look what God did." In this time that we're in, not only is it, I believe, kindness of God to let us go through some loss. But I believe there's also kindness from God in bringing us into hardness in life. As a culture, as a church, when you look at your church as a pastor, you see hardness that people are going through right now. And I believe God brings hardness into our lives. Is hardness a good thing? Well, I would say when we're going through it, it doesn't feel like it, right? Mm -hmm. But the ultimate end for all of us is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And just like John 15 tells us that we're to abide in him, and remember what he said about those branches, that every branch that, that is to bring forth fruit, sometimes he has to 
to purge it, right? That does, that's not a very comfortable process in the life of the child of God, that purging process. But, but it's better than the, the, the other side of that. In other words, if God's going to use us the way that he wants to use us, then there's going to have to be some hard times. We're not going to get around that. Our Savior didn't get around it. And if we're going to be acquainted with, with the glory of God, we're going to have those hard times. But I would say this, on the other side of it, we'll be glad that we did because God's using that to make us more like him. There's a pattern I keep noticing in my reading here lately, and it's, I suppose it's because I'm looking for it, but it is anchored in Psalm 1, which is just in those first three verses, there's this great outline of how to have this fruitful life. And the very first thing is, is there has to be this disentanglement from the world. You know, not sitting at the seat of the scornful, you know, not listening to the scoffers and all that. It's disentangling from the world, separating from that. And then there is this meditation, saturation in God's Word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And then after that, verse 3 talks about producing all that fruit in season. In season. There's always a season. That's right. On the hardness topic, 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verses 1 and 4. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, the, the order is almost different there. But he's saying the same thing. He's saying if you're going to be a good soldier, if you're going to endure the hardness, which ultimately is about being able to take what you've learned and teach others, if you're going to do that, it's going to begin with getting yourself unentangled with the affairs of this life. So looking at the situation that we're in right now, as men, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a mentor, as an employee, an employer, how is God trying to disentangle us, and what is the purpose of that? You know, the first thing that came, came to my mind was Samson in the Bible. One of the, things, one of the things about him was distractions. Everything and every phase of his life, he, he, he got too close to the border countries. Uh, he, he found himself in the lap of Delilah again and again and again. And uh, he just always seemed to be distracted. One thing that God has done in this time is he has limited, though not completely excluded us from the idea of, of distractions. But the distractions, it's almost as if God said, listen, I'm going to remove some things for the child of God in particular because we're to be spiritually minded and hearted. Mm-hmm. We're to have enough spiritual discernment to understand none of this is happening by accident. God's mm-hmm. allowing this to happen in the providence of God, right? God, it's almost like God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these distractions out of your way, and I want you to stop, and I want you to think about what's important. You talked about meditation and getting some saturation from the Word of God. Buster Mullins said, and I agree with this. Now, wait a minute. A guy named Buster has something to, <laughs> to offer? You talk about a preacher. My goodness, what a preacher Buster Mullins is. He said it like this, everything you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, 
if you'll give it to the Word of God, he said, in some of the darkest times of my life, I know it seems elementary, but he said, in some of the darkest times of my life, he said, I have allowed myself to get consumed by God's Word. Where did Spurgeon write the majority of the treasuries of David? He wrote that from a sickbed. And so my point is, look at the good and all that God can bring out that was kind of where um, my mind was going as, as far as God is using this to to emphasize the priorities, you know, the things that, that should be important, you know, and there's all sorts of priorities. There's all sorts of important things, and there's a lot of good things that I find myself consumed in. But now that we're limited on all of that, uh, it is, at least in my life, this is being used to reemphasize what has often been one of the more overlooked priorities, you know, being being rushed to get to here, to get to there, and not taking the time to emphasize with my children what it is that I'm trying to emphasize in the lives of those that, you know, I'm working with at the church or that I'm serving with or that I'm conducting outreach to. And I'm beginning now to pick up, even just throughout the normal day-to-day uh, routine things, well, man, my, my children probably will have questions about this. Or, man, I'm wondering about this. What is it that my children are wondering about? So now it has drawn in me a desire to emphasize what really pr- should have always been emphasized. Easy to just take for granted and think that, well, my family is at the same spiritual plane that I am. When in reality, that's that's not always the case. So this, is, this has caused uh, the attention... Uh, and and the understanding that as men, our first priority is our home. We have to emphasize our home. We have to be the men in the home because we've got wives and children that are dependent on us to lead them, especially in times like this. So that is sort of leading us right into the next aspect of this conversation today. We want to get to some practical things that are that are going to help people. And I know that, you know, people listening, they're going to have things that they're doing, but there's going to be some that are looking for help because we keep talking about the times and the experiences and all, but if you put if you start putting names to this, you start calling it something, there is fear, there is anxiety, there is great temptation that is coming with this, temptation toward lust. And that manifests itself in so many ways with free time and trying to find other ways to distract ourselves. So if you listen to what I'm saying right there, that's a, that's a whole bunch of unhealthy language I just used. That's a whole bunch of wrong direction stuff. What we want to do is offer some, um, some counter to that because you mentioned that we have an enemy. So there is an enemy who has, you know, you talk about him being a student of mankind. He has several millennia gain on us of experience. And so he brings all that to the table. And yet we know scripturally that his assaults are always coming from these three basic areas, uh, you know, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But boy, that manifests itself in hundreds of ways, thousands of ways, depending on people's circumstances. So let's talk about this. How do we counter this? How are we, and I'm talking about us in this studio right now, what are we doing to sustain our own hearts during this time of divine disruption? And by the way, I want to coin another phrase off what Corey said earlier. 
we also are going through divine editing. God's editing our lives right now in ways that we might have not wanted him to before, but what goodness we're already seeing out of that as we take and yield ourselves to him. Let's take away the generic talk there, and let's talk about specific things that we are doing. All right, one of the problems that's already come up, one of the problems that we have all experienced and we knew it was there, but we weren't fixing it ourselves before God divinely disrupted our lives was the pace of life. Absolutely. Well, I mean, practically, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, start the morning with personal devotional time, spending time with trying to spend time with God before I even get into the busyness of what we would call the ministry, trying to get myself realigned aligning myself with what God has for me and so that I can be effective. And I sometimes I feel like I, I don't get where exactly where I need to be, but doing that. And then, I mean, just every single day, there's, a, there's sort of a rough um, idea, an outline, uh, a set of things to do. But the thing is, is, is every day, they're going to be injected into that routine and into that outline and into that list of things to do. It's things that you can't, but honestly, you just can't account for everything. You're going to get a call. You're going to have something that happens, and we have been forced because of what's going on to slow down, mm-hmm. to slow down. So the, the, that is the average person has kicked against. Mm-hmm. You know, we pushed back against that. When God has tried to invite us into that, and some people are really struggling with that. Look, the pace of life for for most people these days is, we can use these words, it's demanding, it's brutal, it's sun up to sun down, and here's the problem with that. That's not God's fault. That's not so-and-so down the street's fault. That's not your congregation's fault. That's not your family's fault. That's your fault, my fault. We have allowed our pace of life to get ridiculous because of all the stuff that we invite into our daily life that we don't need, and now we're being shown, hey, cut that junk out. Doesn't it seem that the anxiety that we have, even just generally speaking, our anxiety, much of it, if not all of it, comes from the fact that we focus on the things that surround it rather than focusing on on him and that's mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying i don't have anxiety when i think about christ right i don't have anxiety when i go to his word or spend some time in prayer or just meditate on the things of god what happens is when i feel that anxiety is when those other things start creeping in mm-hmm. you know when i start thinking oh i need to do this oh i need to do that and and not to say that those things aren't important but truthfully when we can focus on him, and hopefully that's what people are doing. They're taking some time to just stop, knock it out of gear, put it in neutral, and just get back in their own lives to what really is important, and that's cultivating a relationship with Christ. I think it's important that we say that out loud to people, that it is okay. And I think to add to that, shame on you if you keep resisting it. Because if this is something God is doing, if he's offering us space, if he's offering us you know, a, a realignment of the pace of life, and I think part of that is building into our lives space for transition because we don't have a lot of that. 
because you you described it so perfectly other it's to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and as Barney Fife so adequately described it oh, yeah. when you moved to Raleigh he said you know life in the big city is just go 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 and of course <laughs> hey words of wisdom from Barney Fife that's true no matter whether you're in a big city small town doesn't matter we're all just right. go 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 but now we have an opportunity not to go 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 so much and I heard somebody say this the other day, again, going back to the point you just made. There is a difference between working for the Lord and walking with the Lord. That's right. And we're really good at working for God. We're really good at doing for God. But we're not really good at just dwelling with God. Right. Okay, I want to hear from each of you. I want to hear some things. What are you doing right now? How are you building grace graces into your daily life what are you doing right now what practices have you brought in or they were already there but maybe you've expanded them what are you doing that's helping your own heart to stay sustained with god during these days well i think uh for me the the biggest thing that has been put in is is just taking the time to to ask god questions especially for me i've been somebody that has always tried to to reason things out for myself I've always wanted to figure it out. I've always wanted to, because I didn't feel like I had any kind of right to to ask God a question about something if I had not put in the legwork to try to figure it out myself first. You know, and, and that's probably just faulty wiring, but I mean, I felt like, well, I need to try to, to work on it myself first, figure it out, and then, you know, ask God to direct right there. Well, now I'm in the middle of a, of a situation that I have zero answers for whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife is asking me questions, you know, well, what do we do about this? How do we go about this? What do you think about this? And I find myself more so than ever saying, I have no idea. I don't know what I, be- I mean, I know what I believe, but I don't know where to employ this, that or the other. So I have found myself more throughout the day in order to keep my sanity and to keep my heart right with the Lord. Taking the time throughout the day to, to stop right where I'm at and go to the Lord and say, God, I, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I don't know. You know, I know what the truth of Scripture says, but I don't know how this applies to me practically right now. I don't have the answers to give. But I'm becoming more solid on the fact that just because I don't know the answer, or I don't know how to give an answer on something, I've become... More, more solidified in the fact that God is in control. He is, He has provided a peace which I've not been able to, to really even to tell anyone else about. Other than, I don't have any answers for it, but I know that it's all going to be okay. And I feel that my my communion and my relationship with the Lord throughout the day has improved because it's forced me not to be able to figure things out on my own. So I want to jump in on that thought, and then we'll come back to Pastor Blaylock. Prayer. I think it's what, what I just heard right there, and that was one of the things I wrote down, prayer. And what I mean by that, and I think you're describing very well, is more than just snippets of our memorized religious talk. By that I mean the the average person, maybe even the person, people listening to this, prayer to them is maybe morning time, meal time, bedtime, you know, or at church. And, and it kind of comes out as just sort of like religious habit, and there's not a lot of heart in that. And this is kind of bringing us to a place where we are learning now that prayer is about abiding. I need to abide in the Lord. The difference between thinking, feeling, and understanding. All of it's important. But what we're looking for right now, how I feel is not 
something I can necessarily trust, right. although it's a good it's a good lead to find. What I'm thinking, I'm limited on. I don't know the answers, but what I'm looking for is understanding. So you're learning to ask God. So magnify, expanding that prayer time. Well, you know, and one thing too, with our schedules being what they are, because we do seemingly, you know, have more time. One thing that I've done, taking those times to get a long walk in Mm -hmm. and using that to get away where I don't feel I do have a certain anxiety about is feeling like I've got to go to the next thing. I mean, I've got a schedule. I've got a timeline. Trying, honestly, fitting in a 30-minute run in a, you know, in a 32-minute window is pretty tough, you know, because after that you got to get ready and get shouted to the next thing. One thing that I have thoroughly enjoyed through this process is not having to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The next thing is how much more enjoyable absolutely to be able to get out, take a walk, run, whatever you want to do, you know, listen to a podcast like this, meditate on it, talk to God, let God speak to your heart and think about the things of God. And being able to really go over it in your mind over and over and over and letting it really speak to your heart. Delight and exa- in the law of the Lord. That's it. And not having to go to the next thing and losing that. You mm-hmm. know how you lose those moments? Man, I can really give myself to the time like people used to do, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. Used, they used to do that kind of thing. Think about this. I said this the other day. It just comes back to my mind again. We have, and and again, the longer this thing goes, the more we are hearing of people that are suffering. But I want to just say, overall, the amount of personal suffering and trauma is not at the level that people have endured in past situations. But think about this. What if this virus had struck the Internet instead of our physical bodies? You talk about trauma. You talk about mayhem. Oh, my goodness. I think it might be, hey, we might ought to just take a moment to thank the Lord that he spared us, you know, because people would be losing their mind. Absolutely. It's amazing to me because right here I'm looking at my notes, what I wrote down. He mentions taking time to ask God. I I had mentioned prayer. You talk about getting out and taking a walk to meditate. I had wrote down outdoors. And that was my second thing. And, I, and I, so I'll just jump on that one right quick, and then I'll give you a third one, and we'll, we'll get ready to uh, find the transition point. But I, I really believe we, – we did our podcast last week on uh, wilderness and the soul and shared this fact. This, this came out back in 2001, I believe it was, but the average American spends 93% of their life indoors. Now, why is that? Because we are – our jobs have now moved inside – and, it, you know, we went from being people working outside, working in the fields, building, farming. We went to manufacturing, factories. Now we've gone to offices, cubicles, computer screens, and we get out of there. And the only time outdoors is the walk to the vehicle. If we're not parking in a parking garage, then we drive home. We go inside from our indoor garages. We park, walk in, and we sit down in front of another screen for X number of hours till we go to bed. And we go to bed, we fall asleep with blue light shining in our face. I'm not describing our life. I don't, I'm not, that's not where I'm living and not where I want to live. But I know that's the average American life today. Hey, this is a wake-up call. 
Get outside. Mm-hmm. And you just listed so many great benefits of it. Last week, I was, I tell you, I was under the cloud from about Saturday through Monday. And on Saturday afternoon, I, I just, you know, I felt like I was failing at everything. You know, you just get under that cloud, you feel like you're failing. I got out, cranked my chainsaw up, cut some wood, got on my lawnmower, was mowing the yard. A little while, my wife comes out. She said, uh, is this working? <laughs> and she meant, you know, the mowing and all. Because, of course, I've been complaining to her about everything. But she said, you look happier. And it occurred to me. I was. And something that simple of just being outside, taking the time to do that. And, you know, I like what you said there. Nothing to rush to. I could take as long as I wanted to. How wonderful is that experience to be able to have it and take the, that false guilt off of it? Hey, let me, let me throw out this last thing here. Rest. Rest has been a big sustainment during this time. And I know this goes along with really what both of you have already said, but I, I even want to kind of highlight the physical, you know, getting some extra sleep. And I was going back, you're a, you got that app, I don't know what you use on your phone, but I got Fitbit and I, was, I went back and looked over just the last month and a half, February and March, my average sleep across those weeks was like six hours, 45 minutes, something like that. But I got to tell you, I don't like living there because if the average is 645, there's some nights there where it's low and there might be a, a catch-up night. Since this all kind of broke in over the last three weeks, my average has now jumped up to seven hours and 45 minutes. Glory. That's, that is a victory worth shouting about. So there's another one. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. The underlying thing of people are struggling Thank God, even with school, school was getting ready to wind down here in the next couple of months. And so I was really looking forward to the summertime Mm -hmm. to, you know, because I feel a need to be there, even though I don't really necessarily run the school. You know, we've been conditioned, even in the ministry, we've been conditioned that if you're not busy, 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 if you're not doing something all the time, then you're just a a lazy bum, Mm -hmm. you know. I don't know about all of that, but I was going to say this. I am very thankful. I'll be fair with you. I don't really want to go back to those five and a half hours of sleep and six-hour nights and things like that. I'm like mm-hmm. you. I don't operate and function very well, so I'm thankful for the, the extra rest mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, the thing we didn't put as a bullet point maybe here but was mentioned, in, but in every one of those things, what we've mentioned off to the side, which I think is a standalone point, is increased family time. Yeah. That is going to be a heart sustainer for every one of us, for everybody listening. All of us need to just enjoy that. You know, the time we set out around the fire the other night. Again, go back to what Pastor Blaylock said. No rush. Just sit there as long as you want to. Well, and I'll say this. One of the things that we're talking about family. Man, my family, we're so competitive. We always have been. Our basketball games, and we've done this just about every week, Our basketball games really look more like MMA or some of that stuff. I don't know what you how you feel about all that stuff, but I'm pretty sure I had a mild concussion after one recent game. I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, I'm getting a workout's what I'm telling you, and uh, I I think that's a good thing. So I'm thankful. Well, now now you know why we invited Pastor Blaylock into the Code of Man podcast because we only want manly men, and you know a man that can get out and and throw an elbow on his daughter. 
in backyard basketball. That's that's what, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking. Okay, well, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to look at uh, kind of breaking right here. Give you a chance to think on what we've been talking about. We want to leave you with those thoughts of how you can build this these graces into your daily life right now, and don't lose what God's teaching you. And as I think you made the great point, Pastor Blaylock, don't lose this once this time is over. What God has given us now, let's make it part of our new life. And we're learning to walk with him, and that's a wonderful thing. Well, we're going to go off the air with the heart of a champion. I want to thank our good friend, Brother Bruce Fry, for giving us the permission to use his song. And you can go to brucefry.com and get more of Bruce Fry's music. Till next time, this is Mike saying happy trails to you and Corey saying Godspeed and farewell. In the heart of a champion there